You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to this edition of Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine with Lila Bromberg and Jordan Gold, and we'll be now previewing the National Basketball Association season for Terps in the Pros. We'll talk about all four of them, three of them on the Hawks. We are going to be joined by a Atlanta Hawks beat writer, uh, Chris Kirshner of The Athletic. We'll get into Jake Lehman specifically, and we will also talk about the state of Maryland right now and the kind of product that it produces for basketball and how important it is to have these Terps in the pros. But first, we'll start with our interview. And joining us now is Chris Kirshner of The Athletic, who covers the Hawks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. So I think before we get into some more serious questions, we have to ask you, Terplana Hawks or Atlanta Terrapins? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can make the, the case for either. I mean, um, you know, they have three guys who went to Maryland. Uh, I remember last year when I went to the Wizards game, there was a pretty big section of um, Terrapin fans in Capital One Arena um, for that game. It definitely felt like a little um, mini Hawks game because, you know, obviously they had Kevin Herter and Alex Land last year, and, and now they add Bruno Fernando in the second round this year. So there's definitely a, a big contingency of Maryland people in Atlanta. I wouldn't be surprised if because the Hawks do some of these things after games where they have like alumni association gatherings or whatever, it wouldn't be surprising to see like the Maryland Atlanta branch. If, the, if there is one um, at, a, at a game or two uh, this season, just because they do have three guys. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so going into some uh, more hard hitting basketball stuff, uh, which Maryland player do you think this year has the biggest impact on the Hawks season? Uh, in, in my opinion, it's definitely Kevin Herter. Um, Herter missed all of preseason with the nagging knee injury. And uh, Lloyd Pierce, the Hawks head coach, actually said today that he had an unbelievable practice. And you know, if, if he's healthy and able to play on Thursday, which is the season opener for the Hawks, he should – um, you know, definitely see some action with, with the way the Hawks uh, handle injuries. Um, you know, Herter's probably going to be on some sort of minutes restriction. I wouldn't expect him to play 30 to 35 minutes um, a night, especially during the, those first few games of the season because he hasn't played any in the preseason. But he's very important for this Hawks roster, just the way they play. They like to get as many shots from behind the three-point line as possible, and Herter's one of the uh, better young shooters in the league. You know, he shot, I think it was 38% from three last year. And, you know, from talking with him, he definitely wants to be over 40%. If he's over 40% and he's able to get to the line easier than he did last year, then I think the Hawks are definitely in good shape. So he's he's my pick for the, the Maryland guy who's definitely making the biggest impact on this team. And going back to Herder's injury, um, I don't know if there was any clarification about it. It was said to be an, some knee pain for him, but do you know if there was any clarification on exactly what it was and how he suffered it? So there's no clarification as to when the injury actually happened. It, it happened before the team actually formally started practicing as a team in the summer. Uh, my guess is that he injured it during one of those 
optional workouts. Um, there was no structural damage in, in the knee. Uh, wasn't um, you know jumper's knee or anything like that. There was no sort of um, long term effect on his knee. It's obviously a concern when you can't play. Um, you know, five games, you can't practice fully. Um, but in these past few days, he's been able to practice fully. He's been able to go through the team scrimmages uh, with no sort of limitation on him. So that's definitely encouraging for not only Kevin, but the Hawks, because like I said, he is an important piece of this team. So, I, I mean, I, I expect him, if there was one person that, you know, could definitely have a breakout year on this roster, it's, it's Kevin. Because we only saw last year that he was essentially just like a three-point specialist. He had uh, he didn't have much confidence getting to the rim with um, absorbing contact and creating foul opportunities. And that's I know from talking with him over the offseason, that's something that he was stressing in his workouts with his trainer back in New York. So if he can do that this year and and show that side of his offensive game, um, you know he's only going to become more of a a well-rounded offensive player. And, and again, that not only helps his career where he's, you know, looking at his next contract, but it also helps the Hawks because that's just another guy who can attack the paint can also be a secondary playmaker, which the Hawks desperately needed last year. And they still need again this year with Trey young. But, you know, I, I, I do expect big things from Kevin, especially if he does, if he does stay healthy. And he put on some more weight to kind of help in the mm-hmm. paint, right? Yeah, he's up to 206 pounds. That, that's what he said at media day. He ended the season, I think it was 194. So that's also encouraging just f- with him if he's wanting to attack the rim um, with more um, force and more effort than he showed last year. Because I think last year, it was some absurd number. I think he only had like 56 free throw attempts, which is very, very tiny for someone who's playing as often as he is. And I know Lloyd Pierce wants him to, you know, up that number up because again, he's a good shooter. So if he's getting to the line, you know, most of the time he's making two free points. So that's why the Hawks wanted him to get stronger this off season and, and really focus on attacking the rim because we already know he's a good shooter. So when you look at the Hawks roster, um, there's not really a clear, you know, backup point guard on the team. They have Turner. Um, mm. So we saw at Maryland Herter play a little bit of point guard when Anthony Cowan uh, would go to the bench. Do you think there's a chance that maybe if Trey Young's out of the game, we see uh, Herter playing any point guard at all? I think a, a misconception is, you know, him when Trey is off the floor, whoever brings the ball up the floor is a point guard and you know that's not entirely the case um you know just with his size you know yes he has the ability to bring the ball off the floor and yes he has the ability to um you know play make from the top of the key but you know is he able to guard the opposing team's point guard is he able to guard Damian Lillard Steph Curry all those guys um consistently and that's something we didn't see last year so Yes, he was able to, you know, be that secondary playmaker, but um, I'm not sure entirely if he's able to guard those kinds of players just yet. But I will, will say that, um, you know, the Hawks do want to get him more playmaking opportunities uh, just because they want to see what Trey looks like 
when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and when he's moving like a Steph Curry does when he doesn't have the ball in his hands because Steph is so good when you know, the he he gives the ball off to one of his teammates and he's working baseline to baseline and creating opportunities, creating space for not only himself but the other guys on the floor and they really want Trey to do that as well. And if Kevin's able to be that playmaker where he's able to find guys and Trey's able to run around the floor and, you know, cause chaos, that's, again, a very beneficial thing for the Hawks. So I, I know that that's something that the Hawks are emphasizing with Herter this year and something that Herter himself uh, is has emphasized with his workouts. And from talking with his trainer um, up in New York, um, you know, I, I didn't watch Kevin at uh, in high school I didn't. I didn't really watch Maryland play in college, but you know, from talking with this trainer, it did sound like um, passing is one of his most underrated qualities that he does have, and, and we saw a little of that last year. And you said he'll be the most impactful of the bunch, and obviously last year being uh, all rookie second team. So, what's his? What What do you think his ceiling is this year? Can he get to an All Star game? Uh, I would be surprised if he was in the All Star game. Um, one, he's not the first or second scoring option on this team. That's Trey Young and John Collins. Two, um, he doesn't necessarily have the name recognition that a lot of the time goes into being an all-star. Um, I know he's a, uh, a favorite for people across the, the NBA and fans in general. He's a redhead, and he's the most unassuming-looking NBA player <laughs> in the league, probably. Um, but... You know he's a very good player, but I don't think that an All Star All Star game is in his future this season. Um, I do think that he has the potential to solidify himself as one of the the game's best three point shooters, and I think that's very important for Kevin and, and important for the Hawks. Um, but as far as an All Star game, I, I would be shocked if he made it this year. And um, and I'm not saying that as a slight to Kevin because I, I think he is a very good player, but I just don't think he has that name recognition just yet and the scoring opportunities that other guys in the Eastern Conference are going to have. And, you know, moving on to, you know, Bruno Fernandez, who's the, you know, rookie of the bunch, probably, um, you know, taking them more, more time to adjust and things like that. What kind of role do you see him, you know, playing for the team this season? He's probably starting off going to be the team's third center. Um, which means he's probably not going to be playing that much. Um, last year when the Hawks had three centers on their roster before Miles Plumlee got hurt, they rarely put three centers on the floor um, a night. They only really deployed just a backup center most nights. So if Fernando's the third team center, I wouldn't expect him to play much. And you know, from just watching him in preseason, it's very clear that he's very raw. He's going to need time to adjust to the league. Um, I think he has the opportunity to be a very good player down the road. I don't. I, I would be surprised to see that in his rookie season just because he is so raw. He's, he's a very, very, very raw prospect. Um, still needs to understand like where he needs to be on the floor. There were definitely some challenges there in the preseason of just understanding what he's exactly supposed to do on on offense and defense and for the Hawks there really isn't a need to rush to bring him along just because you know this team isn't necessarily a championship contender 
Um, he is under contract for three years. So I think really this year is kind of a, a test run for Fernando just to see like, okay, like what kind of player do we have right now? And what kind of player can he actually turn into? I know the Hawks want him to start shooting threes. I think he only took like 10 or 13, somewhere around that range at Maryland in his two seasons. So that's something that they want to see this year. Um, you know, from watching him in practice and warm-ups and all that stuff, he definitely has a very good shooting uh, stroke, and it's encouraging to see that because it's going to be important for his long-term uh, viability with, with the Hawks if if he is a part of the team's future plans. And, you know, going into next season, they don't have a center currently under contract other than Fernando. Alex Lenz, a free agent, and Damian Jones, the other uh, center, is also a free agent. So, I mean, Fernando has every opportunity at the end of the season will come the end of the season to really lock in that position and, and be the team starting center next year. But I think there's a really long way to go before we can say, okay, like he's definitely going to be the, the starting center next year. So you mentioned how raw he is and how he's likely going to be the third center on the depth chart. Um, do you see a scenario where maybe he gets sent to the G League team so he could uh, work on his game a little bit if he's not getting any playing time? Yeah, and a coincidence because I mean, last time, this time last year we were talking about um, Kevin Herter probably needing to get a lot of his reps with the G League team just because I mean, coming out of preseason, Herter looked awful and nowhere near re- ready to contribute. And he obviously surprised a lot of people with the season he had. I think he got going, if I remember correctly, in like mid-November, where he really started to get his feet situa- situated underneath him and started really playing well. Um, I think it's going to take longer for Fernando, be- just because with Herder, there was an easier path to playing time right away. With um, Fernando, there really isn't. So it wouldn't be a surprise when... Um, the Hawks G League team starts in, I think it's November, and they they actually moved their um, uh, facilities from Erie, Pennsylvania to College Park, which is a, another coincidence. Um, but it's I think it's like 12 miles south from uh, where the Hawks play at State Farm Arena in downtown Atlanta. So that's also beneficial for him just because, one, he's going to be able to get those minutes with the G League team, but he's also going to be close enough to the Hawks facility where he's still able to, you know, be in meetings with the team, watch film, um, get that coaching that really wasn't there for the guys in the G league last year, just because they were in Pennsylvania this year, because they're so close, there's going to be a lot of integration. So I think for Fernando, that's going to be extremely valuable for him. Yeah. It's kind of funny that it's the college park team after them, uh, coming from college park. You know, in terms of, you know, Alex Len, you know, was a high draft pick, didn't really seem that he found his stride until he joined the Hawks last mm-hmm. year. I saw he was projected to start for his first game. What kind of jump do you see him making this year? Yeah, I mean, well, one, the jump that he had last year, I don't think anybody expected. I, I don't think anybody cared that Len, you know, signed with the new team, that, uh, what, now two summers ago, um, just because a lot of people had written him off and, pretty much called him a draft bust just because he didn't do anything with Phoenix. Um, and I had a conversation with Alex this summer where he s- said bluntly that 
you know, if he didn't start his career in Phoenix, he's probably looking at a different career trajectory just because um, the Suns organization is a disaster and, you know, who knows what the hell they're doing actually in Phoenix because player development uh, has been an issue for them for pretty much a decade now. And Alex was um, a victim of the, the blunders that that organization had, comes to Atlanta and, you know, I don't think a lot of people know this if they're not paying attention to stats and stuff, but Alex was um, the team's leading three-point shooter post-All-Star break. So that's roughly 25 games where Alex Len is the team's three-point leader, and he's shooting 41% and over, with over three attempts per game. So if he's doing that this year, then um, the Hawks are in very, very good shape, and they're going to need that because they lost their starting center from last year, Dwayne Dubman. Um, you know, Lloyd Pierce has already said that Alex is going to be the starting center on Thursday when the team opens against Detroit. So for him, I think his, his leap is, is staying on the floor. He hasn't really played, um, you know, the minutes that a starter would get in his career so far. You know, if he's a starter, he's going to be playing, roughly 25 to 27 minutes per game. And I think last year he only was playing 20 minutes a game coming off the bench mostly. So for him, it's can he keep his endurance up? Can he stay healthy? Health hasn't really been a concern for him in his career yet. Um, but if he's healthy and can, and can show that he can play 25 to 27 minutes per game, uh, the Hawks are in good shape. If he can't, then that's where things get dicey because, again, you have to rely on – uh, Fernando and, and Damian Jones, two guys who are very unproven in the league so far. So for Alex, another part of his growth is also on the defensive side of the floor. Not really the best defender. Um, and that's always a concern because you, you want your center to be one of the better defenders on the floor. And, and uh, I mean, he's, he's not. So that's definitely an area of growth where he's going to have to show um, in order to stay on the floor consistently if guys like Damian Jones show that he's that he's a better defender than Alex, maybe Pierce decides that he's the better fit for the Hawks on the floor, or if, even if Fernando uh, grows into that role. Um, so I think for Alex, those are probably the key areas for him. And we mentioned Herder, Fernando, and now Len. Can you kind of talk about the relationship that you've seen from the three guys coming out of Maryland? Well, for Fernando and uh, Herter, they obviously were on the same roster at Maryland, so there there was an established friendship. Um, you know, right after, well, I remember talking to Fernando on draft night, and uh, you know, he mentioned the fact that he would always talk to uh, Herter throughout the years. I mean, throughout the year, and say, you know, it'd be awesome if like they could link up again in Atlanta. And Atlanta was one of the teams that Fernando really had his eye on. Uh, I know after his freshman year, he. Uh, he did a bunch of draft workouts before, you know, returning back to school, obviously. And, you know, that relationship with Herter was always there. There was a relationship um, not as strong with Alex just because, you know, he's, what, like five, six years older than them. But, you know, they're, they're obviously close now. They definitely, you can tell that, uh, you know, their, their bond is really, really tight, especially Herter and Fernando. Um, and Alex too, Alex is definitely in that group. Alex is one of the, the more personable guys on the team. And he's, he's always, um, he's always in conversations with a bunch of the guys in the locker room. So you can definitely tell that that relationship is strong there. 
Right, and you mentioned that before last year you hadn't watched a lot of Maryland film. Have you gone back at all and watched anything of uh, Bruno and Kevin playing together? Um, I haven't actually. I probably should just so <laughs> you know I can get a, a sense of like how they actually look together, just in case that they do play together. I don't know how much again, how right. much they actually are, just because I don't know how much Fernando's going to play. But it's probably a good idea for me. It's just tough now with the season here because you know time is very. Free time, I should say, is very limited on, on what right. I can and can't do. Um, you know, I'm going to Detroit to, tomorrow, and then there's a game Thursday, and then I have to fly back Friday, and then there's a game Saturday. So it's, it's really tough covering the NBA and, and uh, getting free time to do something like that. I probably should have done that this offseason, but that's, that's probably my, my fault. Yeah, because I was, I was initially upset that, you know, he didn't go a little bit higher. Obviously, you know, the league has changed in the way they're looking at centers. But to see him go to Atlanta and be with Kevin, you know, as someone who's covered Maryland for the last couple of years and, you know, seen that relationship, mm-hmm. they definitely were always guys who were, who were really close. So we're excited to watch them all in Atlanta this year. Yeah, and I, and I have to say, Bruno, um, you know, this is my second season covering the Hawks. And Bruno is already one of my favorite people to talk to. He's so energetic yeah, he's and personable. <laughs> Um, so nice and a very good quote. You can ask him the most basic question and he's going to take it for a million years, which is awesome for a reporter. Uh, he, he's really, really cool. And I hope he does establish himself because, you know, again, as a reporter, um, it's important that one of the team's better players, if he does turn into that is a very good quote because it helps you with your stories. And he's definitely one of those guys that, um, I really enjoy talking to every single time I talk to him just because he is so energetic. Yeah, that sounds like him. I messaged him the other day and I was, cause I was in more of a multimedia role covering him the last few years. And I was like, dang, like my best quote is gone. Like, I'm so sad. I'm not going to be able to do more stories on you this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you always like those players, especially as reporters, because, um, a lot of the times those guys who not, who don't really have, uh, a filter not in a bad way but like it's just free-flowing in conversation it's it's awesome because again it helps your stories and it helps them more colorful and he's definitely one of those guys whenever you do talk to him um you know he is one of those colorful guys and i sh- and i will say that kevin's gotten better with that kevin last year was pretty shy we had established a relationship mainly because i'm also from new york um big yankees fan kevin's also a very big yankees fan so we'd always talk about the yankees um and over time, he definitely got more comfortable talking with the media. Um, Alex is, has always been great with talking with the media. I really like talking with him. I mean, three, all three guys are just awesome dudes to talk to. Um, so we talked a lot about, you know, the three Maryland guys. So just wrapping it up with a uh, question, you know, about the Hawks as a whole. Um, what do you think the Hawks playoff chances look like this year? What do you think the chances we see these Maryland guys playing in, uh, some meaningful games in, uh, April and May? I think everything has to go right for the Hawks to make the playoffs. Um, that includes, uh, you know, Kevin taking his next step forward in the second season, Alex Len showing that he's able to, um, be a guy who can play 25 to 27 minutes per game. Trey Young has to take a step forward. John Collins has to take a step forward. Literally every single player on this on this Hawks roster really has to take a step forward for them to make the playoffs. And for those reasons, I don't think that the the odds of them making it are very high. Um, I have this team around 34, 35 wins right now, and I think that's a fair number just because I think a lot of times fans expect growth to be linear, 
and an upward path. And a lot of the times it's just not like that. And there are bumps, there are struggles. And for this team with as much inexperience on the roster, with as many guys that they're relying on who are under the age of 23, um, you know, I just can't, I can't see them making the leap this year. I, I think that next year is probably the year where we can say, okay, like the Hawks are definitely one of the eight teams in the Eastern conference who should get in the playoffs before the, before the season even starts. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You know, we look forward to following along with your uh, coverage this year. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So what did you guys think about, you know, what Chris had a say, definitely some awesome insight for from someone who's covering the team day to day. I thought it was a great interview. And I think what he said about Herter is, is really interesting. I think if Herter can make that jump, um, obviously it's probably not going to be an all-star season this year, but I think if he can make that jump into one of the best three-point shooters in the league, like Chris had said, I think we could really start to hear stuff about Herter, you know, developing into a star, into a real quality starter in this league. And I think that'll be the most interesting thing to see this season from all the Terps in the NBA. And what stood out to me was uh, what he said about Alex Lund being one of the best three-point shooters in the second half of the season on that team, rather than being a better defender, because more often than not, centers are better at defense than they are at shooting. So I think kind of him, him analyzing the game and knowing that if Len makes a jump and is better at defense then he should be in a very good spot. And I think that was very good analysis from Chris on Alex Len. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, Kevin. I think he's a really sneaky athletic guy. I think how he mentioned putting on that weight will really help. Um, and, you know, just his basketball IQ is, I think, is incredible. And I'm excited. It seems like he's coming more out of the shell with the Red Velvet nickname announcement from Bleacher Report. For sure. Um, we've gone back and forth about different nicknames for him. I think my favorite was... Um, he actually got featured on the jump. They did Ronald Threesley because <laughs> like he has red hair. And that was my favorite. That was never going to be a serious nickname. I've heard the Hurt Locker. We obviously had Red Mamba at Maryland, but I'm a big fan of Red Velvet. And I'm happy to see his personality start coming out. Yeah, you can definitely see he's really, you know, trying to embrace um, the red hair and really trying to brand himself as he takes that next step into potential NBA stardom. And one thing I want to say about Bruno we mentioned this last. I mentioned it last week um, when we were talking about the preseason. You know, if we see him go to the G League, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like Chris said, this is a this is a new G League team that's so close to the Hawks that I really think they're going to try and you know integrate it more. Like Chris was saying, and teams we've seen it the past couple of years in the NBA. Teams have really started to you know try and utilize these G League organizations more and more, like how you see with a baseball organization with sending someone down to AAA and going back to the MLB. I think we're going to see that more and more as time goes on with the G League and the NBA. So I don't, if you see Bruno playing a couple games in the G League, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that just means, hey, maybe Damian Jones and Alex Leonard, you know, taking all the minutes at the center position and they just want to get Bruno some, some action because there are going to be nights where you look at the box score and it's going to say, DNP next to Bruno's name uh, via coach's decision. So, you know, getting him as much action as possible and get and progressing his game and making it more suited towards the modern NBA, I think that's that's key for Bruno. Yeah, and what Chris said is I thought was really big was that 
Well, first of all, we all know Bruno's on a three-way con. I mean, on a three-year contract. It's not like he's on a two-way. It's not like there's a risk that he's not going to be on the Hawks. He's going to be on this team for three years. You know, he has that time to develop. And I thought it was great what Chris said that, you know, next year you have both of those guys, uh, Alex, cut that out. <laughs> next year you have both of those guys, you know, Alex Len and Damian Jones that are going to have contracts up. We don't know if Alex Len will stay or not. We don't know what's going to be going on and that Bruno could potentially be the starting center. And so I think it's great if he then gets that experience that he can really jump into that role and get used to playing that amount of minutes. Um, and I, I was really happy to hear that he could, you know, be in that role next year. It's definitely going to be a little sad to not, you know, see him get those minutes this year because um, I think we all know just what kind of player and person he is. But um, I think he's going to reach that point eventually. You know, looking at the Hawks roster – and looking at the Hawks' future, you see, you saw they made the trade this summer to trade Amari Spellman, who was a power forward center out of Villanova, who was their first-round pick the same year that they took Herter. Um, and they trade him to get Damian Jones. And I think that really, you know, kind of clears the way for... They, I think they must view Bruno as a potential center of the future. If they're trading someone that they had just taken a year ago for, you know... A solid bench contributor, I think, who probably won't even be on the team the next season, and Damian Jones. Um, I think that they, they must really view Bruno pretty highly and, you know, look at him more as, like, a third first-round pick this year rather than, you know, your typical second-round pick that, you know, may be on the team for a couple years and uh, it fizzles out. I think what will be interesting from Bruno is he was the main guy here at Maryland, and especially in his sophomore year. He had all the star power around him. It was really just, it was him. He was the guy. He was the story. He was the guy every all the reporters wanted to talk to. And now he's kind of obviously going to the NBA to the next level, taking a seat, a back seat kind of. We don't know if he's going to play that much. We don't know how much coverage he'll get from reporters. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to see how he adjusts to being that rookie, the guy who has to learn, the guy who has to develop his game in order to get back to that level. But we will definitely be covering him and uh, all of the Hawks. And the other guy in the NBA, Jake Lehman, on a new uh, team this year, signed the uh, biggest contract of his career to join the Timberwolves as a free agent. Uh, I'm really excited to see Jake play this year on a young Timberwolves team. He had the best stats of his career last season by a lot. He had 7.6 points per game, 3.1 rebounds in just 18.7 minutes. On 50.9% shooting from the floor, which was among, I think it was the best on anyone on that team. Um, and also 32.6% uh, behind the arc. He started a few preseason games and looks like he could ha be a possible starter from the regular season. What do you guys see as his role being? First things first with Jake. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. He kind of gets forgotten a little bit as, you know, a Terp in the NBA because he's not on the Hawks. And now right. you have these... Let's get him to the Hawks. Yeah, I, you... I wanted him to sign up the Hawks. That would have been so great. <laughs> that, that would have been something. <laughs> but you look at the contract that he gets from the Timberwolves. It's a three-year, $11.5 million deal. Such a and, steal. No, and that's, you know, the money might not be crazy. I mean, obviously a lot of money. But for NBA standards, it might not be a crazy monetary commitment. But... The year commitment, a three-year deal, I think that really shows that the Timberwolves saw something in Jake. They believe in him, and they think that he can be a contributor for their team. And I think he does have a good chance to start for this team, especially in the beginning. The Timberwolves have a really young team, 
And I think that Lehman could provide some stability as, you know, kind of a veteran now. He's been in the league for a couple of years now. So I think he can definitely provide some stability and give you solid play, whether it's as a starter or off the bench. He's really competing for minutes, I'd say, with um, Jarek Culver, who was their first-round pick this year, and also Josh Akogi, who was their first-round pick two years ago. Because I think in the starting lineup, they probably have locked in already Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, obviously, and Robert Covington. So that fifth spot in the starting lineup, I think, is really you know up for grabs and something that if Lehman plays well, he can really solidify. And Lehman, obviously, coming from Portland, he had a pretty good season to start the year, and then obviously he had a great regular season. But in the postseason, he was not used the way he was in the regular season. Yeah, with that trade that happened, that was upsetting. Yeah, so, I mean, guys coming in kind of pushed him down, and he didn't really see the time that he probably would have if the trade wasn't made. But I think now coming to a team that will use him a lot, and as Jordan just said, he's really competing for a starting spot with two guys. And I could even argue that he's competing with just Culver. I mean, yeah, I don't see Josh Okogi getting that spot. Yeah, I think Josh Okogi played well last year. He was he was in that same category of rookie guards last year with Herder. I th- like him, he Herder. Was, he was not no, at him, that level, was he? Him, him, Herder, and Landry Shamit. I think we're all really in the same category. I think Herder and Shamit, you know, really stepped above him a little bit. But Okogi is definitely a solid player and someone who's for sure going to get a lot of minutes for the T-Wolves this year. Uh, we'll see how they view Okogi versus Lehman. So. I think yeah. with Culver obviously being the number six overall pick in the previous draft, I think there's – and he led his team to the NCAA championship game. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of hype with, with him. So I think he'll eventually get the starting spot and maybe Lehman will start out with it. Or they'll kind of flip-flop. I don't know if that will stay with Culver. But I, I expect Lehman to get a lot of minutes. Maybe even be a one or the first or second guy off the bench if he doesn't start. He's going to be used a lot for this team and a lot more than Portland used him. See, a lot of things I had seen on Twitter was like people saying how big of a steal he was, how good he looked. And, you know, there's an article from Life Life just talking about, like, he could be a starter for his team. And uh, their coach, Ryan Saunders, said, the thing about Jake is he can fit in wherever because he's so smart. He's good at reading defenses. He understands the point we make of giving yourself up for the team. He understands that if he sets a screen or does a loose switch, and he's a guy that slips to the basket, it might not be for him to score. It might be for the guy to screen for him. He's very good. He's very cerebral. Now, I think that's been a thing with Lehman is that, especially in a place like Portland, he couldn't really be that aggressive guy. You've got Damian Lillard and, you know, all these really talented guys around you, experienced guys. Um, And I think that's going to be the key for him this year is being more aggressive with his touches. Um, You know, last year he really showed a lot of potential, specifically in January and February. As he started playing, he was averaging 23.7 minutes per game. And during that time, he averaged 11.6 points and 4.2 rebounds, still with all of those big guys playing. Um, and he was shooting 56.95% from the floor and 38.7 on three four, uh, on three pointers. Um, he had one game where he had like 25 points. Um, you know, he was looking good. He showed me he can shoot with three, but he can dunk. Um, he had 22 games with at least 10 points last season and nine games with over 15 points. I think that now that he's in this opportunity where he's going to get more minutes, I think you're really going to see a jump from Jake Lehman. I think you're spot on when you talk about aggressiveness and making the most of those touches. 
because like you said, Portland, it wasn't the most ideal situation. You have ball dominant players like Lillard and great shooters like McCollum. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily the best situation for Lehman to, you know, be filling the stat sheet. But in a place like uh, Minnesota, where it's Carl Anthony Towns, he's the main guy, obviously. But Andrew Wiggins has not shown to be a great he's player so, throughout so his career. Overrated. And Jeff Teague's solid at point guard, and Covington's solid too. But there's there's going to be they're going to have to score points, and we saw at Maryland Jake can score points. And, and he was even unselfish at Maryland. I've, I've heard from so many people that even at Maryland, like he wasn't doing his full potential. That he was that guy that knew that he had the talents of guys like Mello and Dez around him, and that he was going to sacrifice him for those guys. That's always a player he's been. Is that he's unselfish and he put puts others before him. But I think it's time for Jake to start, you know, putting himself first and really, you know, showing the world what's what he's made of. And it's I, kind of ironic that. You just mentioned um, him being unselfish with guys like Melo and Dez around him. And now Lehman is the one in the NBA, the one that's most successful in basketball right now. So I, I find that a little bit ironic. But I do think that he will see a lot more time this year. I think this is a perfect situation for him. It's a team that's not expected to do much. They don't have much hype around them. They're probably not going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to grow as a player and, you know, really establish some sort of uh, role in the NBA as, hey, this guy can come in, he can give you some points, he can shoot well, he plays defense well. I think this is the perfect opportunity for Jay Clayman to really come into his own as an NBA player. Yeah, and if you just look at the team's social media, they seem to be high on him, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens with that. I think, you know, I think that he... Herter, you know, while we talked about how Bruno might not get as many minutes, I think he, Herter, and Len all can have monster seasons. And For sure. That brings me to my point, and Jordan and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, like, will this be the best year for Terps in the NBA in a long time? Because if you look at it, like, I can't even remember the last dominant Terp in the NBA. Like, Steve Francis was a while back. He's one guy that comes to mind. Grievous was, you know, good for a while, but wasn't amazing. I think that, like, these are some players right now who can really, really make a big impact, especially the guys on the Hawks. I mean, if you look at the the history of the Maryland basketball program, especially back at, with Gary Williams, it wasn't necessarily a program that was churning out NBA talent. It was more Gary would get these guys who were maybe you know a little bit under the radar, and he would groom them into great college basketball players. You see now with Turgeon, he's he's really getting those guys, those athletic NBA, those athletic NBA type players who you know have a future in basketball. And I think that this is certainly the most optimistic. Um, Terps fans can feel for you know NBA Terps this year, and I think that this is going to be this is going to be a good season for NBA Terps. You know, there's not going to be any All Stars of this group, but I think you see you, down the line though. Down the line potentially, but what you want is contributors. You want guys who, when Turgeon's recruiting, he can say, "Hey, look at what Kurt, Kevin Herter's doing. Hey, look at what Alex Len is doing." Like. They learn this stuff in Maryland, and they they just need some guys, some consistent guys in the NBA who they can, you know, sell to recruits and sell to fans that, you know, this is a program that is an elite program, and we produce NBA talent. And I think, well, I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that, because this season for Terps in the pros, in the NFL, there's a lot of star power we talk about every week with Diggs and Gakwe. It doesn't stop, but do we think that, I would say it's Herder who has the best shot. Do you think mm-hmm. he can emerge as a guy in the NBA 
the way Diggs and, and Gakwe have in the NFL? I really think he can. I mean, a lot of people have drawn a com- comparison with him and uh, Clay Thompson, and I think he can get to that level. I mean, you saw his numbers last season, even with a rocky start of a season, and then you have games where he's averaging like 15 points. He has that game with like 28 or 29 points against the 76ers. Like, and now he's going to have more minutes. He has the confidence. I really think you will see that. And then I, I think that the next five years – is really going to be a dominant year for Maryland in the NBA because I think you're both you're going to see the three guys of Herder, uh, Len, and Lehman all really come into their own this year, especially Herder. Um, I think next year you're going to have Bruno be able to, like Chris said, have a bigger role with the Hawks. And it was just projected today that Jordan was the reason I saw this that um, Jalen Smith is now projected by Jeff Goodman to be nine. I think that he could easily be a late lottery pick. Aaron Wiggins has been projected as a first-round pick, and I think that Aaron Wiggins is a very similar to player to Kevin in that he's a player that is definitely has NBA talent and really fits the NBA mold well. So I think over the next five years, you're really going to see um, a burst on the scene of the impact that Maryland guys can have in the NBA. Do you guys you know agree with that? I yes. totally agree. And I think one name that we're forgetting to talk about, if at all, pans out on this current Maryland roster's uh, Joel Mariel. I think if he oh, yeah. if he can stay on the floor, if he can prove to be consistently healthy, that's a guy you're you're but totally going to see more, it. Yeah, I think he needs more time. I think he'll need like a second year or a third year, but For sure. I th- I th- I definitely especially given the injury already, I definitely think a second year with Maryland is probably in the cards, but if he can put it together and stay healthy, I mean, he's 7-2. Like that's that's an NBA frame yeah. right there. You don't pass up on height like that. And the seven eleven wingspan. Right. And I also think that you're going to see, I honestly think that Melo Trimble is going to be in the league in the next two to three years. I really do. He's killing it. You saw him in those NBL, NBA games, and he looked dominant. I agree with that. I think for Melo, it's kind of just been, he's, he's a little bit one-dimensional. People say, you know, he can only score. He doesn't really do much else. So I think he's that's... He's been passing. He's been, I think he's yeah, been no, showing that. Totally. I, I think he's been showing that in the NBL. And I think that's kind of how he's grown since he's been at Maryland. And I know he's still getting to the free throw line like he did when he was at Maryland. And I think that there definitely could be a chance for Melo to get into the NBA. But um, I think there's kind of a reason why he hasn't been in it yet. Yeah, I think... Five years down the line, I wouldn't be surprised if he would close to ten terps in the NBA. I really wouldn't. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Cowan Jr. goes undrafted and gets signed. I think he, depending on how he does this year, he worked out for NBA teams in the off season and then chose to come back. Obviously, I don't think he got kind of the the looks that he wanted to. And obviously, we we talk about it all the time. He wants to win here, so he came back. And I think if he has a great season, he leads the terps to the Final Four. There's no reason why Anthony Cowan Jr. should not go, maybe even late second round, if not go undrafted, get signed, and try to stay in the NBA. And I think he will be a pro in the NBA at some point. And I have to say, I'm not the biggest NBA person. Um, I've always been more of a college basketball fan, but just seeing like these terms in the NBA, especially last season, just got me so much more into the NBA. I mean, I've always you know liked it, but just it's so cool to just see these guys, especially after, you know, covering them every day and just seeing their progression, I think is really, really cool. So we will be following them all season. Make sure you are following uh, the podcast account at Testudo Times Pod, uh, as well as the three of us and at Testudo Times. And uh, we're going to continue having some awesome content with that stuff. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a good season for Terps in the NBA. Yeah, it should be 
a very solid season, just as it will be for the current Maryland team. So thank you for joining us on this edition of Terps in the Pros, the NBA preview, and we'll have you covered with all of that and NFL coming up in the next weeks. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Terps in the Pros.